Hey guys, Matt here. Thank you for checking out episode 27 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. On behalf of myself, Justin Goodman and Jordan Goodman, we want to say thank you very much for tuning in. This week, this episode, it's a big one. Uh, our guest is the founder and guitarist of my band, Periphery, Mr. Misha Mansour, who is one of my nearest and dearest friends. We have traveled all over the world together. We have gone through some of the toughest times together, and we've shared some of the greatest times together. Misha is also my business partner uh, with Get Good Drums, so we spend a lot of time together both performing, writing music, and then working together uh, from a business standpoint, and I'm very, very excited to have him on this week because we really got a chance to dig into a lot of different topics that I think are very important for anyone listening to maybe learn something from. Hopefully, that's the goal. But um, in general, you know, we talk very bluntly about the future of the band and how we're thinking about operating in the 2018 world. We are also very, very candid about our history as a band, but also both mine and Misha's history together, and we really dig into the times where we didn't necessarily see eye to eye, which was um, really throughout the earlier years of the band and, and our time working together. Um, we dug into some deep topics, but I think it was very, very therapeutic for both Misha and myself because... You know, it's something, again, that we want to share. We went through a lot. We've come out the other side as better people and as better friends. And hopefully it's a great learning experience for anyone who is uh, who's tuning in, as I said. Um, it's cool, though, too, because Jordan mentioned even after the show that it was one of the most truthful exchanges he's heard from band members or anyone uh, that had a chance to share in a public forum. So I really hope that you guys, uh, you know, can appreciate that and we'll get something from it. Uh, for this episode... We also received so many questions in our Facebook group. Um, we, we did get to a few of them, and we did our best to highlight the most asked about topics, but there were so many questions, and many of them were about things that you know you could really find the answers to in other interviews or in other, um, in other publications, so we really wanted to dig into the ones that were a little bit less, uh, you know, less common. Um, so thank you for submitting your questions either way, but I, you know, I think that you'll find some good information here. And, um, if you did ask a question that got answered, then, um, hopefully you are happy with our answers to those. I really hope so. And, uh, speaking of the Facebook group, if you have not already, I'd like to invite you to join our private group where the conversations continue with us and many of our guests throughout the week. You can join us over at facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants, and we'll make sure that you get in. We have passed 1,000 members. This week, actually, we passed 1,000 members, and for that, we want to thank you so much. It's really an honor to have everybody there, and uh, we're looking forward to the next 1,000 members to join. I think that it's, uh, it's quite a cool place to be. And uh, just a quick reminder that uh, you can subscribe to this show in your podcast app of choice by searching for Chocolate Croissants, clicking the sub uh, subscribe button, and then joining our uh, our weekly listeners there. Um, this way that you know each each episode will automatically download into your inbox or into your app rather every Monday morning, um, hoping that you're on Wi-Fi. And when it does that, you won't have to use your data when you're listening in the car or the gym or wherever you typically consume your audio content. Um, also, it would be amazing if you had a minute and you found value in our podcast, if you could give us a rating and a review. Um, just you know, head over to iTunes, search Chocolate Croissants or in your Apple Podcast app. 
Um, tell us what you think. Give us a click. And uh, we would genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. Lastly, episode 27 is sponsored this week by our good friends at Rode Microphones. Rode have been with us since episode one and have continued to support us every single week by providing us with the microphones that we use on this podcast. So whether you're in a band, whether you're producing a podcast yourself, or if you're simply just looking to capture quality audio, you can learn more about Rode Microphones at rode.com or you can simply search for them on your socials i'm pretty sure they are under at road mike mic on all of the socials out there all right we did it we got through and now it's time to dig into episode 27 of the chocolate croissants podcast with my very very good friend my bandmate my brother mr misha mansoor enjoy so hey everybody how's it going you guys good god what? How's it going? Let's try again. All right. So welcome to episode 27 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. My name is Matt Halpern. I'm here with my podcast partners, Mr. Jordan Goodman. Yeah. And Mr. Justin Goodman. Dude, I'm pumped. The brothers Goodman. You are pumped because you're a Periphery fan. And like you've gotten desensitized to hang out with me. So now you're very, very, very excited that we have it. Let me finish my spiel. Now, you're very, very, very excited that we have the founder of Periphery here, my bandmate, very, very good friend, the, the token brown guy in the band, Mr. Misha Mansoor. Yeah. Yeah. Ow! No, I'm just really excited. I have a lot of energy, and uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to be here. Sweet. I'm pumped Misha's here. I'm excited to be here, even though I don't look at, just because I haven't been sleeping well lately, but... But I, am, I actually have been looking forward to this for a while. Why ain't you been sleeping well, though? I don't know, man. It's just something that happens. It sucks. Let's dive into that. What are your sleeping habits? My sleeping habits are waiting until I can barely keep my eyes open and then hoping that the sweet release of death takes me. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty bad, and I end up you know, on, a, on a pretty terrible schedule because I go to bed at like 5 or 6 a.m., wake up at like noon because I'm guilty and I got like five or six hours of terrible sleep. So I'm trying not to fall into that again. Fair enough. Well, that's good. Well, we were just talking about this on the way over here. Um, And I kind of want to get this, some of the stuff out of the way early, but um, you were saying that you get more creative at night anyway, which is kind of a catch 22 because you have to stay up late in order to really reach your creative peak. But that also means that you're going to be more tired at different points of the day. And you probably are on a, different sleep schedule than you may want to be most of the time. So I don't know if that's a problem for you, if you feel like that's what you're used to now. No, it is. It is a problem. In fact, you know, I always remember after coming back from uh, European tours, it usually primes me to like come back home uh, to where the jet lag works for my advantage. So I'll wake up super early, like six or 7am, which I love. I love that the, the concept of that. And that immediately gets ruined by one day where I'm writing a song, you know, I'll start at like, 10 or 11 or, or midnight or whatever. And then that invariably ends at like 5 or 6 a.m. because I just can't keep my eyes open anymore. And then like I don't even sleep then because like I'm excited because I've been writing and whatever. And, and so I barely get to bed uh, even though I'm exhausted. It makes no sense. And then like, yeah, like then I'll wake up at like noon or one the next day. And then it's really hard for me to sort of get back on a schedule where I'm like going to bed early, waking up early, uh, but I just don't work effectively on music during the day because there's so many distractions. I mean, you know what it's like 
when you're in a band, you're on call 24-7, and there's always stuff happening, and then at night, it stops. And I think that's why subconsciously my brain's like, all right, let's re- release all the creative stuff now. And I think we also talked about like, you know, when you're tired, you get kind of loopy or whatever. I don't know why, but like something happens then. Like it's good generally. Like it just sort of sparks the creativity in a different way. So in a weird way, I think I've, maybe it's like kind of Pavlovian, but it's like I've kind of trained myself to like chase that tired feeling because it's like, oh, stuff's going to happen. Uh, and I'm not going to be bothered because I, I hate being bothered in the flow. You've called me before. You know instantly when you call me and I'm working on something because I'm just real short, just trying to. <laughs> yeah, it's always like, hey, wh- what's up? Uh, I'm in the middle of something, but, but yeah, I can talk. And then we'll talk for a second. Like, right, I, I, I got to go. I, I got to yeah, go. Yeah, I got to yeah. go. Because I don't want to lose it. Because like, once you lose that, once, you know, if you're in the zone and you lose it, it's like impossible to get back. It's like, all right, idea over. And it literally has been stopped by phone calls or emails or something that I have to deal with. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's a bit of the the trick. Is that type of creativity a constant in your life, or does it come in cycles? Definitely cycles, and it's frustrating because it's something I really like. I've told people before, like, you know, the reason I write is just because I like to do it. I don't consider myself particularly good at it. But you know, and I, I know that some people like look at me weird when I say that. But I say it's just like video games. I'm not particularly good at video games, but I love playing video games. So writing is the same thing for me. It's just something I really enjoy to do. Uh, but when I'm trying to do it and then there, there's no creativity, then it's a very frustrating experience. Would you say that it's pure expression, or are you creating with like a periphery song in mind? No, I'd say it's expression. I'm never creating with anything in mind. Um, even and, and that's maybe to a fault because you know I remember Nolly recently asked me like you know well when you write what do you write about and I was like that doesn't really make sense to me I don't write about anything you know yeah we talked about that actually yeah, at the last did. session didn't we yeah we're, because we're saying like lyricists and whatever would have a story uh, and so they maybe write emotionally or they're sort of there's some sort of cathartic aspect to writing if there's a cathartic aspect to writing for me it's a lot more. Uh, sort of nebulous, like it's not like, oh, I'm gonna work this idea out. It's it's just like, hey, I like to write, and it's not about anything. And we were kind of discussing the pros and cons of that because what Nolly would call it, which I agree with, is like I write aesthetically. So it's like because it sounds cool, because this works in a cool way, but it doesn't have like a deep meaning. And it's interesting because this also ties into something else, which is touring and playing shows, you know, like I'll have good and bad shows depending on like the vibe, how the audience is reacting or whatever. But the point that Nolly was making was like for a lot of people, he thinks who write emotionally, that's almost irrelevant because the main point is that they get sort of their moment to work their problem out and to to talk about or they're they're singing a song that has very deep meaning to them. So it's irrelevant if there's one person in the audience or 10,000 because it's about them and their experience getting out there. Whereas someone who writes aesthetically like me is, is very much writing, you know, as one thing. And then the live show is sort of performing that and interacting. And it has to be a very specific thing for me to get the maximum enjoyment out of it. But does expression and in your case, your expression, does that need to have such depth? Um, Well, what do you mean? I guess, I mean, does it have to carry so much more weight than just the enjoyment of writing the part? Because if, if it is an aesthetic and you just enjoy it because it sounds really good, is that 
to me, that would be enough. At least you're expressing yeah. yourself in the way that you want to express yourself in an authentic way. Well, I'd say that's like a philosophical debate that we could get into. It's like, you know, is it enough for me? Yeah. But then the context changes once you play it live. Whereas I think for someone who writes emotionally or who's tapping into something else, they can also tap into that in a live context. Whereas for me, writing aesthetically, it changes very much when I'm, when I'm playing live. It becomes about something completely different. Well, when, you, when we go back probably to 2009, when we were first learning how to perform, right. I mean, we sucked. We didn't yeah. know what the fuck we were doing on no. stage. We really didn't. And, and you know, we still are figuring out, I think. Yeah. But, but I remember having conversations where I asked you and I asked the other guys, like, what does this song mean to you? You know, like, like, because that's how we could potentially kick our stage show up a notch was by figuring out what a song meant to us, connecting with that feeling, with that, that moment that we wrote it, those, those goosebumps that we got or didn't get or whatever it may be, and then try to tap into that on stage. Because that's what I was saying at the time that I was really doing. And there are still songs like that that to this day we play and it gets that way. I mean, Loon, when we Loon. play Loon, always, you know, that's... It's an emotional song. But that's an exception rather than the rule for me, you know? Me too. But, you know, I find that when there's more interaction between either me and you or me and Mark, um, I, I used to interact with Nolly. I rarely, like Jake and I will interact sometimes, but he's usually doing his thing. Yeah. But, like, the more I interact with you specifically, I think unless I'm, like, in my head, mm-hmm. which happens... And I, that's ha- that happened to you on the last tour too. Um, Big time. We always feed off of that energy and we like push each other to kick it up even further. Yeah, and that's, absolutely. That's, that's the best part about playing live to me. But I can also ten- tell when you're phoning it in and you can tell when I'm phoning it in. You absolutely, know? yeah. I mean, I was concerned about you. I don't remember where we were. Uh, it might have been one of the Italian shows. Do you remember the yeah. remember that show yeah. where like yeah, we had yeah. like walk up those small uh, staircase that small staircase to get there? No, no, to- I, I I don't remember where that was, but that was a pretty low point for me. Yeah, that, that was, was a point where I like took you guys aside and I was like, yo, if tours continue being like this, I don't know how many more tours I've got in me, you know? Because it was yeah. I was in a bad way. There's that that was a you know before we alarm everybody, it's like that was. There was a lot of contributing factors to that. That you know, some some were sort of out of our control, some were out of my control, and some were just, I'd say, maybe carelessly planned or put together. Um, maybe partially by my own fault, but like, uh, it's not quite as extreme as that. I don't feel as it, like I'm. I'm actually very excited to go on this next tour, but there is context to that, you know. In those moments, can you find relief in the performance, though? No. No, I hated, I hated every second of it. Uh, I was miserable. I've, you know what I found relief in was the band being supportive. The fact that I could talk to my band and I could say something like that, which sounds terrible. I was cranky. I was in a bad mood. So I was obviously not in the most uh, open state or the best state to be discussing much of anything, you know, because when you're emotional, you just kind of, everything's blown out of proportion. And I'm sure it was in that moment, but having the band sort of unconditionally support me and talk to me, which was not the reaction I thought I would get. That was what actually lifted me up and made me want to get through the show. That makes sense to me because like, I really respect your brutal honesty in sharing this publicly because it's not the most like, PC thing to share no. to, to your fan base, but it's the fucking truth. And yeah. I think that always plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've always... I, I, I think I've, as I've grown up a bit... 
you know, and I do this at the, the, the clinics I've been doing as well as I've been kind of like, look, like, might as well just tell you how it is. Like, there's just no point otherwise. Like, what am I going to do? Like, salvage an amazing career that, like, makes us a ton of money? It's like, no, this is a passion project. This is something that we do for the love. So I might as well just be honest about it. I might as well level with everyone exactly as I feel because I'm not ashamed of how I feel. I'm not afraid of how I feel about it. And I still, at the end of the day, right now, you know, uh, the net result is that I still think it's worth being in this band and, and pursuing it and doing all that stuff. So, yeah. Was there a point where you both would have just like put on a happy face? And if so, what was the turning point? Well, no, I, I mean, here's the thing is I do put on a happy face. Like, okay, just to be clear, if I'm miserable, I'm not going to be sulking on stage and, and letting people know that because that's like maybe one of the most important lessons, early lessons. I, learned. I remember we were touring with Dream Theater and, uh, and I, one, one night I saw John Petrucci was, you know, they start the set off, you know, it's a big intro or whatever. As soon as the first song starts, there's no guitar. Now these guys are on in-ears and he's just playing there. He's looking like he's rocking it. I'm like, oh damn, John must not realize that we can't hear the guitar. So I talked to him about it after the set. I was like, yeah, man, like, I don't know if you realized, but your guitar was out for like, you know, the first like minute or two of that song. He was like, oh, I knew. I was like, really? He's like, oh, absolutely. I couldn't hear a damn thing. I'm like, I couldn't tell. He's like, well, look, you, you got to be pro. You got you to gotta put on a good show. He's like, I knew my, his guitar tech has the same in-ear mix as him. So his guitar tech could hear that there were no guitars. So he's like, I knew that, that Maddie, my guitar tech was on it. And that eventually my guitars would come back. So I didn't stress look pro, keep playing, and eventually the guitars came back. And that was a really important lesson. It's like, you know, you, that's unprofessional in my opinion to let that show. And if, and, if, and if I have let that show in the past, then I feel bad and that sucks and I need to work on that. But I, I like to think that like, I still try to do my job. At the end of the day, it is my job. But I guess the distinction is that the best shows don't feel like work. And then some shows do feel like work and it, you know, this isn't a threat or anything, but if enough show, or if the majority of shows start to feel like work, then I have to question why I'm doing this, you know? Well, that was the issue on that last tour. It was extremely trying. It was, right. a, it was a tough tour for, for everybody for a lot of reasons. <clears throat> what is so cool is, and, and I, you know, I don't want to like say that our crowd, um, they couldn't pick up on this because maybe they could, but we know. We know when we're each yeah. having a bad show. There's little telltale signs. But we see or, each other every day. We see our performance every day. We know the difference. Correct. And but I also know that there's the moments when when you turn around and you know it looks like we're rocking out together, but you're saying something to me that I that I know means like <laughs> fuck, like, all right, let's 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 try to have fun or yeah. all right, let's get through this, let's just get it over with, or whatever it is. And I mean it's tough. You know, the worst shows that I ever played uh, were after Charlie died and then in Paris on this last tour when my dad's dog died. Remember that right. when Gia passed away? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've had some other bad shows. We've had some other incidents. Actually, there was a fan um, who wrote about the fact that I guess we played in Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo, Amarillo? Amarillo? Amarillo. Yeah, Am yeah, not Amarillo. We're going to go with Amarillo. I think it's Amarillo. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go with Amarillo. We played in Amarillo, Texas, and apparently I was in a mood. I don't know how, how long ago this was. I mean, I, if it was Amarillo, it was probably a, it was very a while long ago. Time ago. I was definitely in one of my moods. 
I had injured my finger. Do you remember that? Like there was like one, there was like a night where I like. Do I jammed. remember you injuring you? What like every tour ever since no, the it wasn't, of time? It wasn't like a blister <laughs> thing. It wasn't. It wasn't like a like a blister thing. It was like I hit my finger between the rim. Oh, and a stick or but something. That's happened a bunch of times. Yeah, too. it's happened a bunch. But I guess we had to like we cut like three songs, mm. and I like stormed off stage, and this dude wrote like. Yeah, fuck him. Like, you know, he was a dick in our town and the band was talking shit on the town. And I couldn't remember that. And I, I actually, f- I found him and I wrote him and I was like, dude, please, can you explain to me like what happened? Like, we don't remember that. I don't remember that. And if I acted like that, holy shit, like that is not where we are now as a band, you know, and it's not where I am now. So please explain it to me. And he did. And I remembered it and I was like, fuck, I'm really sorry. And I apologize. And I mean, that in itself went a long way, but even now, and that happened like a couple weeks ago that I that I saw this. But even now, it's like that was such a good reminder of like keeping your head in the game when you're on stage and when you're performing and when you're in the public eye. And we as a band have now, even on this upcoming tour, we've decided to not do the meet and greet thing, the yeah. VIP thing. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can talk about yeah. a little bit too, yeah. just because we've done it for so long now. It's been something that 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 we've um, we've really taken a lot of uh, I don't know we we believe in doing it and we love doing it, but I don't know I want to give back in other ways and I think you do too and I think everybody no, does. I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly why I, yeah. I don't want to do I don't want to do a, a VIP meeting grade on this tour because I'm burnt out. We've done it. We did it a while. We did it, and when we were doing it, I enjoyed it, and then I started to get burnt out on it, and then I was like, guys, like. That's it. Like I just don't think it's worth doing things you don't want to do. Like, like at the end of the day, it's doing nobody, it's doing nobody any favors, right? Because and it's the same thing as like you know, like when we, it's why I think we should be professional about all this stuff because you know it's like I've said before, it's like hey, like so we have a good show in this town and a bad show or bad vibes in the next town, but everyone in that room still paid the same amount. Like they deserve. Why should why should the next guy? They're just as good people. Why should they get a worse performance from us just because we happen to not be vibing? So that's why I'll definitely try and like give them as good a show as possible either way. But it's more like you know that takes a toll on me. So it's not saying that I think should be outwardly visible, but it does mean that like a great set me on the inside, and eventually I have no more patience for it. And I think the VIP thing, you know. Um, at first, I loved it. I really did. But then once it started to feel like a chore, I was like, well, I'm recognizing that this starts to feel like a chore. And if I'm, if I'm phoning it in for this, then I don't think that it, anyone should be paying. No one should be paying money to hang out with us phoning it in. Like, that sucks. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't particularly want to do it. And it seemed like everybody else in the band felt that way. That's not to say that maybe in the future I won't feel like it's a good idea, but I think right now I just need a break from it. That's, that's basically it. You know? Fair enough. How is the channels of communication from the start of the band to the point now where you can openly say that? How has uh, the relationship between all of you in communication grown so that you could come to a point where you could say that? Uh, it's come a long way. It's come, it's come a long way. And I'll say this much, like, you know, as much as from the outside you may wonder why, why band members change and whatever. I think, you know, one big factor that maybe nobody considers is the fact that there are personalities out there that are open to change and introspective. And when you have conversations with them, they say, you know, difficult conversations. They'll respond with like a, 
oh wow, I, I never realized. I, I guess I should work on that. And then you have the people who aren't receptive to that. And you know, I think that as Periphery has become more and more of a band where everyone's like, I'm not perfect, and I'm going to work on it, and that's okay. If someone comes to me with a problem, it's not a, it's not saying you're a shitty person. It's just saying like, hey, like this is something that's bothering me. I, w- I would wish you'd work on it. And both parties are open to having this conversation. It's okay. We've, be- we've become healthier and healthier. And the other, the other component of that is having the sort of courage to have it. They're very difficult conversations to have. Nobody wants to be in that situation. And everyone, I know me personally, I'll always go to worst case scenario about what's going to happen. I'm like 110% certain it's going to go this way. And I've been shocked every time, especially with our current lineup, how receptive everyone is. And I've just learned with time, it takes time, but I've learned with time to trust these guys that, that, that in some, some ways know me better than any other people in the whole world, to trust these people with, with my feelings and not to have my guard up or, or filter anything around them because I think it's better for everyone that way. So that's been a process, but it's been a deliberate process. Now, from my experience of what I know from your band, The Dynamics, just being friends with Matt and then having Mark on the podcast, it seemed like that you, Misha, and Matt are very much kind of like alpha personalities and that for you two, it definitely took... Uh, some figuring out how to best relate to and communicate with each other. Yeah. We, we used to butt heads all the time and it got worse and worse and worse to a point where it was like pretty much like it's going to be me or him. You know, I was like, you know, I was talking to other guys in the band about that. And of course no one was happy to hear that because I think for some members it was out of the blue. They didn't realize just how bad it was. The truth is what had happened was I had feelings about legitimate issues uh, with things that, that Matt was doing. But at the same time, I had never really told him that there were issues, and I do think that that's messed up. That's, that's on me. Because how, how is he supposed to know to change his behavior about stuff if, if I'm not t- saying, like, dude, this really bothers me that you don't do X, Y, and Z, or whatever, Right. But it was because I was 110% convinced that if I ever went to it, he'd be like, well, fuck you, then I'm out of the band, blah, 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 blah. And even when the other guys in the band said, you should talk to him, I was like, I know how he's going to react. We all know how he's going to react. And then when we, when, when we ended up talking about it, it was at a completely inconvenient time. It was after a show. I think we fought about a shower. <laughs> we did. It's, it's, you know, it's like any dumb relationship. If you've ever been in a relationship with a girl and it's like ended, it always ends on like the dumbest fight, right? Like Dude, it's shower like, together. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, solve all the problems. But like, yeah, I mean, like it was, it was a really dumb thing. It came out of nowhere and I, I told myself, oh, I was going to talk to him. But after the tour, because you make like 101 reasons and excuses why now is not the right time to talk. But, but Matt surprised me in... In everything that we discussed, he was, he was willing to listen to what I had to say. And he, was, and he wasn't dismissive of what I had to say. And since that, that, that talk, I've seen so much effort on his, on his end to acknowledge that and to change it. I was like, and you know, we're all human beings. So even with the best of intentions, you're still going to mess up or whatever. But then all of a sudden, I didn't care about it when you messed up because I was like, well, I see you trying. That's all I cared about. And it, it taught me a really important lesson, which is like, you, you know, 
I guess I thought I was a know-it-all. I just knew like what was going to happen. It's like you got to give these things a chance. And it was my fault for not being open about it and for letting you know, these things that were problems but not quite as big problems as I thought they were fester and just become worse and worse and worse over years uh, until, until they sort of hit a critical mess. Would you guys say that after changing the relationship in that way, did the chemistry on stage or creatively change? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. How did and, it feel and our different? Relationship, well, just because I didn't feel like I had a friend in Matt. I felt like Matt was like a guy I was in a band with who I it didn't felt, really like. It yeah. felt like a business arrangement. Right. It's you like know? it works and he's a good drummer. Like I always knew he was and a like good we, drummer. But we, like, started it, we started as friends and like, you know, but we were we were always the most vocal and still are. We're both the most vocal in the band. We are, we have strong opinions about different things. Um, and for a long time, I don't even know if we actually differed in opinion or just took the stance of the opposite on each other. It's because, very possible. Because we just didn't want to be on the same team. Let the other guy win. Yeah. You know, like, right. Yeah. But, 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 you know, even through the bad times there, I do remember some moments where we would be on the same page and it would feel really good. And like, or we had good shows or we had these good, good interactions and it was great. It was like, Oh cool. So there is a, there's a glimpse of this there yeah. and it's awesome. But there was just a, it was, it was miscommunication. It was misunderstanding. It was lack of communication yeah. between the two of us. And it was also, you know, the, the, the biggest, most toxic thing that occurred in our band that I have not seen since really this instance between you and me was the shit talking yeah. that was going on behind so many different combinations of, of each of our backs. Right, right. You know, right. everybody was saying this about this person and that person. Most of it was between you and me. You know, most of it was about you or me, is yeah, what I'm saying yeah. at, at those times. And I think we were both really unhappy. Now, you know, we could really dig deep. And, you know, I remember other instances like there were things with Spencer, you know, the from There's first to last thing. Every, There's, There's been, been things right. with everyone in every direction. Exactly. This is not just a you or me thing. Exactly. I do think that ours was probably the most substantial just because of personality types, because we are sort of very outspoken. Well, you were, I mean, I remember that night very vividly. We were in West Virginia. Yeah. We played a show. We got back onto the bandwagon and. I was trying to go get the first shower. Right. Right. Because right. I always like to take the first shower. You always like to take the first shower. You know, and that was a point of, and it, whatever, for whatever reason, I get it. It was a point of contention because why am I entitled right. to the first shower? I felt at that point in time that you felt like you were entitled to the first shower because you're the sweatiest or whatever. Right. And it's like, no, like if someone else comes first, they should get, and it's funny now because now from my perspective, I'll be like, yeah, he's the sweatiest. He should get the first shower. <laughs> yeah. He needs it. But now I want you to have the first shower because <laughs> it's like yeah it's just the context the context is the, different. right exactly the expectation the entitlement or the supposed entitlement was right. what i get i guess bothered me totally but i remember i remember um i remember going and you came up you're like i don't remember what you said exactly but something along the lines of like well why can't i have the first shower i was like dude like just let me go get the first shower i'm gross i'm sweating you're like and then it was like yeah that's, that's what set it off i guess you know it was point. like it, it was set off at that point and needless to say uh 
We both took the last showers of the evening. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> because we, we both took the last shower. I don't think I even showered. I thought I was just too wiped from it. I was we, like, whatever. I think at the end you were like, dude, you should just go shower first. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fine. But, but it wasn't about that. It no, was, no, it was no. Just a, and I remember you, you even said to me, like, you were ready for a fight. You thought that my response was going to be to, like, I thought you were going to punch me in the face. Right. I was actually, I'm not joking. I was physically prepared and I had so much adrenaline running through my body I was like you know what when he punches me, when he punches me in the face <laughs> at least I won't feel it that much Matt have you ever punched someone in the face and Misha have you ever been punched in the face uh, I have been punched in the face but not by Matt because I'm still alive um, and <laughs> but Matt Matt I think uh, gives you a lot of credit I have I have punched me in the face and I, I regret it um, were you but, like 10, 10? Uh, senior week <laughs> oh, oh, I know the story. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to dig in. No, no, no. I, I feel bad. But about Matt it. punched a guy. I did. It so was... while we're here, I want to do my best to field questions uh, from our Facebook group. Uh, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, uh, at Chocolate Croissants, we have a private Facebook group, uh, Facebook.com/groups/chocolatecroissants, and we always ask of of our members questions for the upcoming guests. Misha, you by far had the most questions. There's a lot of energy and interest in you and your story. Uh, so I'm gonna do my best while we're just kind of mid-conversation. So, so Jordan Wright from Connecticut, uh, I'm not gonna read word for word, but just reflect the spirit of his question. And it's for both of you, Matt and Misha, uh, what is the creative working relationship that you guys have, especially when it comes to drumming? And Misha, uh, he asks also, do you still play drums? Um. I, I don't really play drums anymore, not by choice, but I live in a condo. You know, it's very difficult. There's a kid at my parents' place, which, I'll, you know, I'll see him every every Friday usually, and I'll maybe get a few beats on there. But no, I don't consider myself, like, a drummer anymore. I, I'd really love to get back into it, but I'd say there's just logistical difficulties at the moment. Were um, you a drummer at one point? Because I don't know about that. Yeah, so, uh, so I actually started on drums, uh, and I was sort of forced to stop for pretty much the same reasons because I went to school and there was no place to play drums there. And, you know, um, Matt maybe can relate to this, but like when I was in high school, because I was a drummer, everyone would just leave their gear at my place. So that's how I had guitars to jam on and whatever. Uh, so, so I'd always be sort of jamming on the guitars and, and, and digging those. So then when I went to school, I was like, well, maybe I should just focus on guitar a little bit more since I can actually work with that you know um, how old were you at that point when you started with the guitar um i think you know like i technically have been playing since i was 14 but i think i started taking it seriously when i was like 17 or 18 years old that's why i started to be like okay maybe i should focus my energy on guitar since i can't really play drums or practice them ever um it's a difficult instrument you know if you don't have like a good setup for it or very very patient parents like i did when i lived at home um or, or your, your parents. <laughs> and mine poor too. Poor parents. Yeah. They're poor parents. But uh, yeah, like, so that's, that's where the whole guitar thing started. When, when Periphery first started, I actually played drums for the band just because we couldn't find a drummer who really... There, we played with a lot of very good drummers, and there was a lot of talent, but you have to remember at the point in time, our music wasn't cool, and the stuff that I was writing wasn't cool, and no one got it. So there's a lot of very capable drummers who I'm sure if they'd sort of been the right mindset would have totally been able to nail it, but it was just very foreign to them. And there wasn't sort of a large 
base of music to which they could pull from for like inspiration or whatever. And we were just tired of sitting around. So I was like, well, at least if I play drums, we could like start playing some shows. So I did that. But I quickly realized that, you know, for the scope of the music to be what I wanted it to be, that I'd need to get a drummer who was way, way better than, than what I was on drums. And, and I think that's what, you know, sort of forced me into guitar because it was like, I definitely could play these guitar parts, all right, but I can't play these drum parts. Did you try out a bunch of drummers when you decided that it was time to switch? And how did you know Matt was the guy? So it's a pretty interesting story about how Matt entered. Uh, so to, to start, yeah, like, you know, it's like the typical thing where like it's like local ads or whatever at music stores and you're just meeting complete strangers. And I had a very frustrating experience because, you know, these guys would come in and would be way out of their league, but they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've totally got it, totally nail it. And then I'm like, jamming with them and I see they really really don't have it and they're like oh well you know I just need to work on it for a week and I'm like yeah like I, I learned kind of quickly to, to how to parse through that because it was like a huge waste of time and then and now you can reference YouTube videos yeah and, and now our style of music is and, and what we do what makes the drumming kind of difficult is a lot more mainstream at least in the drumming community so you'll find a lot of people who for lack of a better phrase, have the right moves to be able to pull it off in the right context to where it makes sense. But back then, people just weren't playing drums like that. And, you know, to be fair, I was programming these parts, which were playable, but just not what any of these drummers would naturally try to play. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember being especially frustrated because we found this guy named Jason Berlin who played in a, in a local band called, I think, Eat Your Neighbors or something like that. Mm. And he was a fantastic drummer, very charismatic. And like, you know, when I watched his band, I just couldn't keep my eyes off. I'm like, this guy, this guy could get it. And like, I could see that guy, like he was kind of starting to get the idea, but like he still, he, it showed me that he wasn't wrapping like his head around it. And I found it so frustrating because I was like, if this guy who's incredible can't get it. who am I gonna get? And then we discover Travis Orban. And Travis Orban is basically a machine. This guy, you program something and he can just analyze it. He thinks about every note and plays exactly the way that you program. I'm he like, was reading it though, right? Yes, he was sight reading. I mean, right. this guy's brain just operates different than anybody else's. And I'd never seen anything like it. But I was like, finally, we have a guy who can who can play our parts and I can be ambitious. I can program whatever and this guy will get it. And he, he, was, he was proving me right because I would program even crazier and crazier things and, and he'd just play it, exa- you know, he'd be sight reading. And I'm like, you know, you got to learn it. <laughs> but, and, and it was a bit of a process. But, you know, truthfully, there was always a bit of, uh, of, of creative differences there. I think, you know, he saw his periphery as, maybe a different thing than the rest of us. and So by this time, Periphery was a thing. We were like a local band, right? right? And, and here came a problem and an important lesson, which was we were always treated as a, de- a democracy, right? So everyone should have equal say. But Travis started making demands about the songs or parts or his drum parts, which we thought, you know, like this isn't tasteful or whatever, but he felt very strongly about it. And we thought that was unfair because we're like, well, it's like you get a say. But it was always kind of, maybe, it was never said outright. And I mean, he never said this, but it was always kind of layered, we felt like, with a threat of like, well, you know, if I'm not happy, I'll leave, right? Um, and so that sort of forced us to like make sure that he was happy at all times 
way more than than we would to ourselves. Now, in hindsight, this is entirely our fault. But as I say, we have to learn these lessons sometimes the hard way. Um, and I think in my heart of hearts, I'd always worried or maybe known that like some point there's going to be something where he's not going to want to be in the band. Maybe he won't like it. It'll have deviated too far from what his vision was. And I think like me, he had a very specific vision of what he wanted as a drummer. And one day, Alex Boys, our guitarist uh, at the time, was like, hey, man, I'm going to go see a friend's band play. There's like this pop band. I had literally nothing to do. I think it was at Fletcher's, right? Uh, that was at the Rocker Theater. No, 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 it was at Fletcher's. It was definitely not Rocker. You sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm like 99% okay. sure it was at Fletcher's. Okay. So you're playing like, like it's this pop band. I know nothing about it. And I see a drummer saying, and keep in mind, even though I don't play drums, I'm a drum nerd. So I know everything about everything. I'm like, this guy's setup's weird. Like two floor toms. I think you had like two floor toms, kick snare, a, a hi-hat, and like a crash ride. And that was it. Mm. And I was what like, band was that, man? Armoretta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was Justin playing that show? No, because uh, I remember the Fletcher show. I think maybe Ben. Ben no, Seward well, was ben playing. Ben Seward was playing. Uh, he might have been playing bass, but there was another dude um, who I can't think of his name off the like top of my head. Like the dude who played Upright? No. There's probably it's we like, like Final three or four tap. different yeah, bass, like players. Five yeah. bass players. I think I joined that summer before it ended. But Misha, so you had no awareness of who Matt was. No, absolutely prior not. To this. Absolutely not. And the context of this is is funny because like Alex was going out there just to he's a social butterfly. I I I needed something to do, so I was like, yeah, I'll come out. It was just completely like by chance. I wasn't going to check out the drummer. I remember he made a comment. He's like, yeah, their drummer's pretty good. And I was like, cool, whatever. And then they start playing, and I'm like, I'm like, this drummer's playing on this weird stuff. It's like pop songs. It's like really cheesy pop songs, really straightforward stuff. But the drums, I was like, this drummer's like playing, like he's like overplaying, but like it, it kind of works. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But like, man, this guy can groove. Uh, and you know, that's one thing about about Travis Orban. You know, as, as technically incredible as he is, I always felt like. Like personally, he didn't groove very, very much. You know, that wasn't his focus. And like, here's this guy who's all like less about the each note or whatever being perfect or everything, but there's a swing and there's a feel to everything. And I was like, this guy's incredible. And you know, I remember you're doing a lot of stuff with like, you know, the toms and the, the, the kick drum, or you're like using toms as a kick drum or whatever. Mm. Again, this is with pop music. It was hilarious. And I told Alex that night, I was like, well, if ever we're without a drummer, I know who I'm going to call. And Alex thought I was crazy. He was like, this guy's playing a pop band. He can't, he can't play metal. I was like, trust me, this guy can play metal. <laughs> you know, like, it, like even if we have to train him, it'll be a little bit of, it'll just be a little bit of work on his end. Uh, and sure enough, you know, um, Travis got an opportunity to join a band called Skites Airplane, uh, and and he quit Periphery to be able to pursue that. So we were left high and dry without a, a drummer. I think we had a show in like a couple weeks, and I called Matt up. You know, we had met at that point. Like after the show, I complimented him on his drumming, and we kind of stayed in touch. Um, well, wait, like, we there was way more to the story than that because oh. right after that, you were like, "Yeah, I I know this dude. I'm writing music with his oh, name's Tosin." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that whole phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. No, no, that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. A very, I totally see. My memory sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was totally gonna forget about that. Yeah. So, so I I remember like kind of wishing that we had a drummer who could groove or whatever. And and this was around the time that I was doing. 
you know, this project with Tosin that would eventually become the first Animals as Leaders album. And, you know, I programmed all the drums on that. And I remember when I was programming it, I was just really taken by Matt's style. So I was like programming in like a what would he do kind of context, right? Um, and then like the Animals as Leaders record that we did was really just so that Tosin would not quit music. It's a long story, but basically it was fulfilling a, a contract thing that, that he needed to get done. So we were just trying to make something that would be listenable that he could turn into the label. By the time it was done, it was like, I think this is pretty cool. Maybe you should start a band. I was like, well, dude, I know the perfect drummer for this. He's who I had in mind when I was programming all these parts. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess I hooked you guys up and uh, you did like a couple of shows with Animals. In. Yeah, we played DC9 and we played at Fletcher's. And right, you were right. there. You were at the Fletcher's show. I, I can't believe Fletcher no one show. filmed that. Like, at the, there's, there's not any, there's no footage of that of anywhere. Of the first Animals as Leader show, yeah. And now, the first one was at DC9, I think. No, no, the first one was at Fletcher's. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't think so because I remember we played at DC9 and, and uh, John Shaban had issues with right. the electronics. And that was like our first test show. Oh, so maybe, maybe, and maybe. We it figured was. it out for Fletcher. Maybe it was. You're, you're right. And this is about 10 years ago, like 07. This yeah, was, this is like 07, 08. Yeah, around this that was time, a, wow, yeah. I can't believe it's so long ago. But yeah, yeah it was. And. That was a that was a fun show. I remember that all like all of Periphery were there. Yeah, you for, know, for Fletcher's, I was blown away. I was just like, like it was like single tier. <laughs> I was like, like watching. You know, it was. It, you have to realize this is before Periphery was touring, so I'd never seen music that I'd made like come to life. And all of a sudden, like this this project that like I like co wrote is now being performed. You know, and Matt's like. You know, doing his interpretation of the parts, which I thought was so cool, and it and it just sounded great, and they were nailing it, and I was like, man, this is like a special moment. Um, so yeah, I definitely remember that. Show. I can't believe I forgot that whole phase. I wish I could have seen that show. I feel like I probably yeah. sucked. <laughs> I, I I know I know you probably feel that way, but I I don't you know objectively I don't remember how I was, but at the time I was blown away. I was, oh, genuinely, I, I, I was genuinely blown away by how I good say it that. Worked. I say that because after I exited Animals as Leaders and joined Periphery, they go in these get they they get these behemoth drummers to to fill my you know my space. So first they had Naveen, now yeah. they have Matt Garska, both of whom I look up to as like incredible players. So yeah. I just can't imagine what it was like. But you know what I think? I think it was it was probably a little bit like, um, like watching JP Pouvet play those tracks with Tosin. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't I, at like, all that's like what that. I want it to be like. JP JP when he played, he he is he is probably the only person to play with that band who actually played pretty much exactly what I programmed to where it's like scary, but it but he has but he grooves and it sounds good. Uh, Naveen didn't really do that. He did his own take on it. Garska's off in like space, you know, every every <laughs> night and I'm so grateful to watch that, but it's yeah. definitely not what's programmed. Uh, and you, you definitely were doing like your. It was like a very Matt Halpern version of it. Uh, it's like you hadn't studied the parts, but you had an understanding of what was going on, and you could kind of play around with it. Yeah, uh, which was, which I thought was really fun. It was fun. Yeah. I wish there was a video of that I really wish I could see it, but yeah. You'd have to be such a different beast to actually play that material. Like if JP and I've never seen JP play the parts, but if you could play those spot on. You know, like without missing a beat. That's to me. That's that guy's a monster. It's similar monster. watching when when I would watch Travis Orban play, and yeah. and first of all, his setup was unorthodox. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. Um, but it was robotic, and it and it 
didn't necessarily serve the band or didn't seem like it served the right, band right. as much as, as you're saying, the ebb, the flow, the groove right, that right. Matt had to actually give it some character. It was just stock. It was like, here's what it is. And, and oddly, Matt, we weren't really hanging out at that time 10 years ago, but I remember running into Matt and he said, I'm playing with this project. He gave me the record. He said, you should play bass. And it was so over my head. It made, oh, really? Well, Wow, I'm like a like a vintage gear nut. I never really cared about the progressive right, right, know, technology right. of the stuff. So that threw me for a world. But but even when I just listened, obviously there wasn't bass. It was just you know uh, a string that was just lower than what a normal six string would be. So I'm hearing on the animals as leaders stuff, right? Yeah, right. like that's uh, so it was like I was trying real to DIY, real DIY there. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it's out there. So to hear that there are people that took that and just played it verbatim is. It's kind of shocking. Yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing that. I remember seeing J- the crazy thing is when I saw JP do that. I think he was like, like he, that was one of the first shows that he had played with them. Yeah. I didn't realize this till after I saw it. By the way, I thought he'd been the drummer the whole tour. It and it turned out he had just joined like a few days back from when I saw him, and he had like something like three days or four days to learn. The yeah, material he had three or four days to learn, and it was three hours of music between. Um, so it was Tosin, Zach Wild, Nuno, uh, Nuno Betancourt, Ingbe, uh, and and, Vi. and Steve Vai. Yeah. and he had to learn three hours of music, and he was doing it in a matter of of no time. Um, JP, we you know we should we got to have him on the podcast at some point. He should. And he's a very very I'd interesting, very interesting human being, and he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. Um, but let's let's hold on. Let let's stay with this topic for a second because the other part of the question which I think is still kind of fluid and we figure out as we go is how you and I write drum parts yeah. together. Because in, in, all, in all fairness, it usually starts with you or whoever really is the, the person who's recording the riff initially. Okay. Like when, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if Mark writes a riff at home, I don't know. I don't even know if Mark programs stuff, but like he's, I think he's like every now and then program the basic. He can. I think he doesn't like to do. I think he, he, I think he prefers to come to me and have me sort of interpret it. Sure. And I know that Jake. Jake has. We've fallen into a way of working, but 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 one thing that's important to know is I've always tried to cater to my drummer. You know, so whoever the drummer's been, when when Travis Orban was a drummer, I knew he liked to do a lot of weird sort of out there stuff. So I'd program stuff like that. And then when Matt joined, I knew the stuff that he liked to do. So I'd always try to program stuff that I thought that you would enjoy playing and thought that I thought was like sort of representative of your style. But you know, I'm also completely open to you coming and be like, you know, let's change this, let's do that. So yeah. But I think the fact that like at the end of the day, you and I are on the same wavelength about like drummers we like and why we like them and you know what we like about drum parts and whatever has always made that part very seamless like i've never thought about our process it's just happened and it's very rare that if one of us wants to make a change that there's ever a big disagreement about yeah. it it's pretty easy and to be honest most of the time the things that you write i actually prefer because i listen to them and i get to listen to them from like more of a fan perspective like you'll send me a demo. Like you just sent me, you sent all of us one the other day you, that you and Mark put together and I'm listening to it and I had nothing to do with the, the very rough arrangement that's there, but I'm listening to the parts and I'm like, fuck yeah, that's a sick fill. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's a great group. I would love, I would have so much fun playing that. And there's something that's, uh, that I really enjoy about that because, you know, everybody likes to play covers in a way, you know, and that's sort of like that. Now, 
the truth is, as we dig into it and I get more comfortable with it, of course, I'm going to put my spin on it live. It won't just be the program version. That's a, that's the a thing I've learned to count on, though. Right. I, you, okay, so, so not everyone realizes, but, and this is something that maybe I've taken for granted, but every now and then I think about, is that Matt is a freak of nature in that he can just like hear something and then he just knows how to play it. Unless it's like something that's like above your sort of technique or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as long as it's something that like you technically have the ability to play, I feel like you just need to hear it once or twice. As long as you know how it sounds in your head, like you'll drum it on your steering wheel or on your lap, then you can just play it flawlessly. So that what that allows me to do is like when I'm programming, you know, if if there's a fill that I think is really cool. I'll program it very specifically because I know Matt's just going to nail it. And then other times I'll do things that are like kind of more generic or nothing at all because I know that Matt will just figure it out and it'll be something that I like. But there's always been this kind of understanding with what the demos are trying to communicate to Matt, at least on my end, where it's like, I like the way this fill sounds. What do you think? You know? And I know that if you like it, you'll, you'll emulate it. And if you don't mm-hmm. like it, you'll do something else. But either way, it's like kind of a win-win, uh, yeah. and, and it's and it's kind of a, a freak scenario because we could go very quickly from demoing something, something being like you know a brand new idea to like actually jamming it out on a on a kit or whatever, you know. My favorite kind of fills that you will program are ones that um, sort of transcend and go through different rates within a part. Yeah. So um, uh, let me think about like a really good one. That maybe in like the the riff that we were jamming a lot on this last tour, mm-hmm. you know, you know what song I'm talking about. Um, there's a couple uh, fills. Oh, um, uh, wait, 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 like like dan, 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 dan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's one. a couple fills in that one that I just think are are so cool because they they aren't your traditional like oh here's just a bunch of sixteenth notes. It's like it's a combination of different rates put together to make a fill that ends up at the end being the perfect transitional. Um, Rhythm into the next part, hmm. which I don't know if you even realize that you do. No, I, I never thought. But of you, it it's like. By the way, can I steal this? Yeah, you need to blow my, your nose. My, my nose is just kind of leaking because I'm getting allergies. Sorry about that. It's gross. I can't even. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna like try to try to beatbox the the fill, but I can't really think of it off the top of my head. But well, either way, you can beatbox. I mean, I can like speak drums, but it's not really beatboxing. Let's hear you beatbox it. Um, what's a let's what's a good part that we're um. Jordan, you want to play it? <laughs> uh, okay, you know, okay. The camp song. Okay. Um, there's that part going into the second chorus. Um, it's like doom. There's like some, there's yeah, like a transition. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know, I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's not just like. Oh, right? I see what you're saying. It's it's there's this there's this. Space that's left between it. Let Jordan, like, let Jordan. Jam Master Matt yeah. in here. <laughs> Jordan, can you can yeah, you explain so you can those? Beatbox. You know what's really funny? You'll appreciate this. I don't know. We may have talked about this in the podcast before, but as we're sitting here, and I hope he's listening, Eric Haviv, once every couple months, sends me a text message with the picture of me on the cover of Modern Drummer. <laughs> just randomly. That's it. And, <laughs> and I just that's now, amazing. That's amazing. Just get. This from Eric. Just inexplicably, just just a picture of that. Yeah, yeah. Like if you go back in in like That's into funny. our details of our conversation, um, it won't load right now. But yeah, I have I don't know how many pictures of me on the cover of Modern Drummer. Oh. From, do you from shave Eric. clean anymore? What do you mean? Like, do I ever shave my face clean? Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I was like, I don't know you like that. 
excuse you me. Say, you said like one. The only hair. time that I shaved clean, not like clean, clean, but like shaved it down. Like. I mean, I bring it down, but the only time I, I shaved clean in the past year ish was when I shot a short horror, uh, did a horror short with Alex. Uh, Wilber. Oh, I barely recognized you in that one, dude. Well, I was right, like, like, is I like, that Matt? Oh my god! Yeah, I like buzzed my head all and the way down. And you were like completely clean. I was like, I've never seen you like that before. It looked weird. <laughs> It, it only weird. looked weird because I've never seen you like that. Like, you didn't look objectively bad like that, but it was just like, it took me a second. I was like, oh my God, that's Matt, you know? Like, yeah. Because you looked pretty much like this the last time I'd seen you, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah. It was, it was, was weird like that, man. I don't like shaving my face. I really don't. I don't want to go a straight razor on my face. So, but, uh, speaking of doing a horror thing, what I th- really respect about both of you is that the band isn't the end all be all for you guys. Now, I know that it's kind of the nucleus of your profession, but you both have all kinds of different outside projects like Matt does for this podcast. Um, there were a lot of questions about that. Uh, I see a lot about uh, Horizon Devices for you, Misha. Um, and, and to kind of just lump a lot of these uh, together. I guess my question for you is what's the inspiration for that? What do you get out of those ventures that you don't get from the band? And where else Money. Would you- Money. <laughs> <laughs> Money. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but that's not, that's not necessarily the impetus for doing it or sure. the entire impetus for doing it. But it's, I mean, it's definitely part of it. But I think, you know, these things, it's very easy for these things to fall into black and white categories and they always end up being pretty gray. So, um, you know, not, not a lot of people realize this, so I hope more and more people will come to realize this is that bands just don't make money. Especially, and as a time when we started out, bands weren't making money and compared that compared to now, I mean, like then we were, the potential to make money was amazing. Like now it's really, really bad. You're seeing a lot of bands break up. Law legacy acts can't even stay together because it's just not worth it anymore, right? So, I mean, you know, to put it in perspective, right? Uh, periphery, where it's at, we're, we're, our our career has just gone up and up. We're not like on a on you know, as far as our numbers and whatever. Like it's all been up, and yet I don't even think I could pay my mortgage with periphery money, you know. Um, so it's not any way to have a life at 32 years old. And I I realized when we entered this industry, we knew. You know, we had no delusions about like Periphery ever being a big band or ever really making any real money. So I think we always looked at opportunities to to pursue other avenues of income. But I would only want to do things that are interesting or fun to me. So again, in the same way that like we make some money with Periphery, um, despite the fact that it's our passion project, these other things were sort of maybe flipped around a little where it's like, you know, I'd like to make money with this, but I really still want to be invested in this idea. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, we have GGD, which is, you know, our drum sample company. And that's something that we believe in. And it's like, just like with a band, there are certain things that are sacred that no amount of money will change our philosophy as to what it's about. Uh, and I will say money is not the the important thing. In fact, that's one of the things that I think allows it to work so well is money's the byproduct. But really, it's just we're very excited about having the ability to experiment with this stuff and see what we could create. And then we put it out for sale and we market it and then that's great. It's the same thing with Horizon Devices. That pedal was just something that I wanted for myself and was kind of like, I can't believe no one's made this. So that's a pedal. Yeah, it's just, it's and and you know it's it started out well. Horizon Devices started in January, so it hasn't even really been out for a year yet. But you know, 
Uh, it's it's done well, and now now we want to do more products. We we didn't know if it might just be a pedal. You know, we're gonna sort of play these things by ear. Um, it's the reason why I've pursued signature models and products with all sorts of companies because those things are great passive income. To where the band never has to be this stress. And this is something that I think is very important to everyone in the band. And I think we've seen a lot of bands fall into this trap where you know you start making money and then it becomes very tempting to say, well, if we make a couple changes here and there and you have management and label everyone saying like, well, if we kind of frame it this way and you write these kinds of songs, then maybe you could be a radio band. Maybe you could make some real money and play arenas. And it's like, oh, that sounds great. And I could make all my money off the band. And that was something that like we all kind of knew that we were not interested in and that the music was the sacred thing. But being able to not have to rely on the band for money is a great weight that's lifted off this, that allows us to confidently say that so that the band can just be the passion project. These other things can be how I make my living. Um, and it doesn't matter that, that Periphery doesn't make money. It doesn't matter that the record industry is dying and that it's very tough for artists uh, to make a living. And I think that you'll find that most of the artists out there who do manage to, to get by either are so big that they've transcended to where instead of making you know, tens of millions, they're just making millions now, or uh, you know, some, some sort of combination with still some sort of livable life, or they're having other sources of income that supplement uh, the band income so that they can actually live a normal life. Because at 32, you don't want to be living in your parents' basement, uh, and, and that's the only way that you can get by by being in a band. And I think it's nice, too, because you can leverage what you have and kind of play in different sandboxes, but there's all this natural synergy that all will probably lead back to the band and then maybe spill out to something like this podcast or you know your pedal. And, and I think it just it, it helps the community of what you're a part of in all those aspects. No, it, it absolutely does. It, all this stuff trickles back. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is why no one, you know, I think we've been asked before, like, oh, you know, do the other band members care or whatever? It's like, no, like, it's all, it's all good for business. The side projects, well, I think Spencer's actually, well, I hope I'm not saying this too, too early, no, but he's like a, putting a, a solo project, yeah, which his, is awesome. Yeah, his solo project, um, Ender, Ender yeah. comes out October 27th, I, I think. I forget the date. Pre-orders... Uh, you know, I here. think by the and time Matt, this airs, the pre-orders will be look. out or whatever. I can you play drums so I think it's safe to it? talk about that. No, I didn't play on that record. <laughs> okay. um, I, pl- I, I did some stuff for our side project, The Mothership. Mm. Um, but uh, I forget. I think Pete, uh, I don't know if, if, if anybody knows Pete, but he works with Taylor Larson down at he the did, studio. He did the but he played some drums on that. I'm looking up, because Wayne, I know, sent this over today. Yeah, by the time this airs, this will all be old news, probably. Yeah, but. it will be. But anyway, yeah. So Spencer released um, promo stuff for uh, Ender oh, thank you. Like recently, or like today, Appreciate actually. You. It just came out. But yeah, like everybody in the band has different side projects, whether it be musical or whether it, it be other, other endeavors. Um, we're all in support of it. And that's something that really took time to develop into what it is now also for everybody because like, and that was a point of contention for you and me going back to that was because remember when I joined the band, I was really adamant about needing to make time for a priority, which was band happy. Yeah. Right. And yeah. like, and that was an issue a lot of times. I remember there was this, I don't want to say names out of respect, but do you remember that whole fucking ordeal when we were in the studio in New York and I left to go have a meeting and 
things got turned around yeah, yeah, by the yeah. producer we were working with, yeah. and it was just yeah. it. I, that I was a bad situation throughout, and I think things were manipulated. Absolutely, worse, absolutely, you know? and and I think and when that, we spoke about it, then we were like, oh. Oh, that's what happened, and then we resolved it very quickly. But yeah, definitely. But I, you know, I think having side projects was something that we all needed to get comfortable with. It was like, I don't want to say, I don't know how how I even could compare it to this, but I would imagine it's like you know trusting someone in an open relationship in a way. You know, like even if you look at when Spencer was in from first to last, it took all of us a lot of time to get comfortable right. having our singer. This is our singer. Yeah. Like singing and touring with another band. Oh no, he's ours. Like you can't have I him. guess I never thought of it that way, but that's probably really that's probably why it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it's like it is kind of like an open relationship. It's like, yeah, it's okay, you know, but hey, we're, I'm still important, right? You know, like Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it was it was our it was our singer, but at the same time, what's been cool about it is that, you know, all of the side projects are are important, yet they're all fueled by the by by what we've built with periphery and they all are, I think, built on the platform that is periphery. So there's a very big respect on both sides. Everybody respects the side projects now and I, like we were talking about earlier at, at my place, like we were talking about how, you know, we can't ever really see ourselves wanting to 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 disband or get rid of the platform, which is periphery, um, because of what it has helped provide for us with our side projects. Right. And, and there's a big respect for that. Yeah. You know? And I also think that, you know, as the industry changes and as, I mean, I don't know where it's headed. I don't think anyone really knows where it's headed. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we've always tried to be sort of malleable and adapt to it as best as we can, and you know, follow opportunity wherever we see uh, in 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 whatever state the industry is. But like, I think you know, one thing that we've maybe allowed ourselves to do, and like we were talking about earlier, is allow us to sort of create our own destiny for the band. Because you know, a lot of bands get forced into this sort of model of touring to support an album to support sales but if you think about it, sales are gone right everyone's doing spotify um and i'm not saying touring isn't important but you know we've talked about like 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 i was alluding to earlier how it can be difficult and obviously like the money isn't there so i just think it means that you could be a lot more strategic about this thing these things and if the band really is like this sort of uh passion project then we we really owe it to ourselves to follow our passion in it and not follow the model, the business model, and 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 arguably very outdated business models plan for us. If that makes sense. So, are you guys open to not doing full records and then months of touring or years of touring? Yeah, I, I don't know. We're open to just about anything. I'd say we're at an interesting point as a band, and I don't know how much we even want to say. I mean, I don't really, I don't feel like we have much to hide. No. But we are at a very interesting point as a band where we're trying to to genuinely figure out where we want to go and what our direction is. Right. Um, you know, we're going to be releasing music in a way that we never have before. Um, you know, we're going to be sort of being in control of our own destiny when it comes to touring mm-hmm. way more than we ever have been before. Right, right. Um, and then there's a lot of other ideas that, yeah. that many of us have that we've talked about because... I don't know. Are we burnt out? Are we are we um, are we getting old? I don't think it's that. I think it's just the the models that we've been accustomed to for so long aren't necessarily the models that I feel like all of us want to stick with. 
and this is a this is a good thing to to bring up because I've always looked okay. Everybody in the band at different points takes the leadership role, right? I think there's there's points in every conversation and in in different scenarios where there's somebody who takes the leadership role. You know, like Mark is amazing when it comes to the networking side of, right, of who right, we are, right. right? Spencer is fantastic at doing what he does. I mean, nobody writes songs like he does and writes lyrics and vocals like he does. There's no other singer in this band. Yeah. And we and we, we basically count on him to do that because none yeah, of us he dictates yeah. which songs we, yeah. we put on a record and, and which we don't yeah basically you know? yeah. jake is fantastic with the the technical side of things a lot right, of times right, right? right he really really oversees that stuff and building the rigs and getting things going with our crew yeah. um you know uh who, who, are we, who are we missing me and you i guess and and nolly i and, guess and in nolly, the past yeah right? and nolly in the past but obviously I mean, he was doing the engineering and sure you know, and all that yeah stuff. nolly's the production guru um <clears throat> i've always seen you as the most progressive idea guy in the band. And that really does go back even to when you were just doing the bulb thing, releasing music on SoundClick. Because at that time, there was nobody else doing what you were doing, the style of music, in a way that you were doing it. And you still had the same belief now that you had then, which is put music out there for free, let people listen to it. And if they like it, hopefully they'll share it and whatever. I'm not doing it to get people to like me. I'm doing it because I need to get this out there. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so... Fast forward now, we've had conversations about how to release music and how the industry itself is sort of, you know, giving us these limitations. And I see you out of everybody in the band being the most creative with your cool. with your ideas. And and I think that's where you really have this talent to think beyond the box, you know. And well, that's just something I don't know if you know if I, if I feel that way. About I didn't you, but know I you felt that way, and I didn't really know that anyone. I don't even necessarily see myself as that. But well, you know, when we have conversations with Wayne, our manager, as a band about you know our label or the record stuff, um, moving forward, our direction for the next couple of years, I you know I tend to sort of quiet down. I think everybody does, and you always take the floor. Huh. And I know that you have conversations with Wayne even outside of those band calls where you have an idea or a question or something that's going to help you sort of, you know, narrow your focus to, okay, what the fuck can we do that's different, that's outside the box? Right. You know, and yeah. I, I think that the more that you flex that but muscle. That's why I love Wayne because he's actually the first guy to be receptive to those. So we is. can have like really long conversations and actually hash things out and then make moves, which then actually happen. I mean, that's how the, the camp even started. And that was something that you pushed, but like sure. he was the first guy receptive to that. And we felt like that's not going to be just, hey, tour, album, tour, al-, you know? Right. Like, let's make this a thing. So because it's worked, and because we like, because we have a team that supports it, it just encourages more of that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're here, this question resonates from the Facebook group. Uh, first, I want to give love to Connor Sullivan from Jacksonville for asking about Horizon Devices. But Chris Yates in San Francisco, he says, Misha, you're a freaking marketing machine. Uh, every company that you work with and signature product released is a success. Uh, so he's curious, do you have some sort of background in marketing or does it come naturally? No, no, I have no background in marketing. Uh, okay, so that answers the question. Yeah. But even before we started this, we were all discussing, do we do Facebook Live or Instagram Live? And we kind of gave our own insight into what we should do. And you just started riffing on the different services that live stream and like about right now it's an open market. So like you're clearly paying attention 
to, to technology and communication and ways to create content marketing, for lack of a better term. So has that been a natural interest for you always? Yeah, I think I've always been very tech oriented. I think that stuff's always been very fascinating to me. Sorry, you look like you have something you want to say. I'm itching. No, no, no. Yeah. Finish your point. Well, no, I mean that, that that's basically it. Yeah, I've always I've always just found tech stuff very fascinating and look, but it's one thing to be into tech, it's another thing to leverage tech uh, to connect with an audience. I see a lot of people bitch about the state of whatever, right? And for me, I see opportunity, or I try to see opportunity, because otherwise, what's the point? You know, like everyone can bitch about something. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are wrong with the industry, but I'm always just trying to think. All right, so how can we how can we use this? How the, it's not all bad. There's a lot. Maybe it's mostly bad, but there's got to be something that we can now, as a result of this, use to our advantage or spin it to where it's not as bad. And that's that's what's interesting to me. And I feel like the more that you understand the system and the more that you understand how everything fits together and how it works and why it is the way that it is, the more insight you have as to ways that you can maybe exploit the new system to your advantage. But I will say you have this natural instinct because Matt will show me like, hey, Jordan, check out this funny video that Misha made pushing whatever. Right. And the you, hori- Specifically, I was showing the Horizon Yeah, but I work with two marketing geniuses there. Brian Gilmanov and Maytab Bogan. I mean, that's why I work with them. These guys are marketing geniuses. Well, to, to your credit, you've chosen to work with them. And also, even in, in just the copy that's written or your performance, it really feels like you have this handle of who your audience is. Yeah. And that, I mean, like that, you know, it's everyone so doesn't have that. The way you that. say it makes it sound so calculated, but it's like, I guess it just fell, I, I just feel like it fell into my lap, kind of, you know? Uh, yes and no. And, and this is something that maybe not a lot of people know about you. But you know, you you do a lot of reading. You do a lot of researching. You know, you it, online, not yeah. necessarily in books, right? Right. But like on forums, yeah. You, your your finger is on the pulse of of a lot of different things. And there's a lot of times when I'm amazed at like the amount of things that you know about. Like, okay, a great example would be when you got into hockey. Yeah. You just didn't. You weren't just like a casual <laughs> hockey fan. You like. Became more knowledgeable than Rosie, our tour manager, who is like who's been playing hockey That's not his whole true. life. He still knows way more than but, I. Do, but but, but you, yeah, I but, mean, to the point where like you could have legitimate. You know, debates with him. But that's how I get into things. I know. This is how I've gotten into everything. I know, and 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 that's that's the kind of thing that I think is is sort of w- what Jordan was saying, and it's why I think you end up in these situations where you don't necessarily think they're calculated, but all of the effort and the time that you do put in away from that, that, in, you know, that, that instant moment of creation or whatever it ends up being is the research. You know, like, hmm. that's, that's the thing that I don't think you realize that you even do. Yeah, I guess I never thought of it that way. Uh, you have this saying, which I really like, which is like the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And like, I've definitely seen that to be true you know i mean i guess this is another thing evidence of that because again it's pretty funny that you said that about hockey because i i never thought of it that way but you're right you know like but it's but you know we were talking about music earlier and i was saying i don't listen to a lot of music but when i get into a band like i like listen to everything i become an expert on that band because that's what's fun you know and when i when i decide i'm gonna do something uh whatever it is really whatever it is whatever interest i'm gonna pursue I always like just fall in, like just completely just uh, just sink into it. And it's, that's I think the, f- 
fun of it, I guess, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I I wanted to kill all of you guys <laughs> on the first US tour that we did earlier this year because everyone, it wasn't just like watching hockey. It was like all anyone could talk about was like hockey. Yeah. And who's the player you think I look like? Oh, Justin Williams. Justin Williams from the Caps. Only with his, only with his no, cap on. No, only with his cap on. There's, there's literally shots where I was like, "You're gonna have like, to show me this one." Yeah, no, I don't no, see it's it. only with, it's only with the helmet on and like certain shots. But, but I swear to God, like sometimes they look. Exactly, he have long hair. He does, and that's why, right? that's why I would have to, and it would be like pre-playoff. But like, yeah. A cool <laughs> moment for me. Uh, so I've seen you perform twice. The first time was probably five years ago. And then more recently, earlier this year, uh, Fillmore Silver Spring, and you were wearing a Caps jersey because yeah. there was a Caps playoff game. I think it was a playoff game yeah, going yeah, on. And was. during the set, you find out that they won. Yeah. You announce it to what was a DC crowd. Yeah. And that was like a very unique moment. And for <laughs> me, it was cool to see you get to enjoy that with your community. Oh, I love that. That was... That, those those were that was a very stressful uh, set of weeks there because like Rosie who's who's our tour manager and guitar tech is super into hockey so you know and, and oftentimes the games would like finish like while we're playing so I'd be like yeah tell me the score he's like you sure you sure you <laughs> you know yeah, some we, days are better than others when so. we went to Europe I remember it being I don't know how early or late in the oh, middle it was, of the night. Yeah, I mean, I'd be watching games at like absurd hours, just trying to, I, I wouldn't even be able to watch a game, but I'd be like, I'd have the scores open and just like try to follow like the Reddit threads, see people, what people are commenting on because I was really, I was really into it. Speaking uh, of, I just want to give love to Joe Hamilton who lives in the UK, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah Joe lives in, in uh, I forget what city he's in now, but yeah, he's in the UK. I know initially, as soon as he saw that we were starting this, he said he was about to go to bed and oh. he's been staying up watching this. <laughs> That so, dude is up all hours of the night anyway. Hi, yeah. Joe. Well, it's only like five-hour difference, right? Yeah, it's not that late. And Joe will get this before anyone else anyway. Yeah, let's let's uh, we should tell everybody. So Joe has been. Have there we, have two, we talked about there this? are two people that help us out every week, even to the point where we'll have these issues, and the next thing we know, we don't end up bouncing the unmixed product of the podcast at like, I don't know, like 10, 11 o'clock at night on Sunday night when we wanted to have it done by, let's say, 10 o'clock on Sunday. And there are two people. There is Jeff and Joe, and that's it. With either of them, they, they never really care what time I send it to them, but I send them the tracks, and they go ahead and just mix it and master it and the whole nine. Yeah, there's something about the dudes with the names that start with J. Jeff, yep. Joe, Jordan, and Justin. Yep, Misha, yep. Matt. Misha Matt. No, we're failures. M and J. M and J. I get down with that. Oh, yeah. So at this point in the conversation, do you want to kind of like rip through some of these questions sure. and Wait, just kind of see what happens? Real fast? Or I mean, it's your, it's yours. Is this is your podcast too. Let me go back for a second. Brothers fight uh, to the death. Definitely not. Um, <laughs> but maybe. Do you, do you fight with your brother? Uh, we used to. Okay, cool. Big like time. WWE style? No, no, like no. punch each other in the face. It's pretty funny because I was listening to I was listening to to Mark's podcast, and I think he stopped fighting with his brother around the same time. I have a much uh, larger gap between my brother and I. It's about seven years, but there was one day when I was fighting, and I'm like, I can't beat him up anymore, and he can pr- probably beat me up. And I was like, Why are we fighting? Why? <laughs> this is crazy. We're brothers. We need you know. Dude, like let's my talk whole it spiel out. Just changed then. So like ever since then, we don't fight anymore. And I've like kind of like. Play fought with him over the years just to like kind of check where it's at. It's and it's not looking favorable for me. So I can guarantee you we will never 
physically fight again if it's up to me. That's totally fair. Uh, do you ever fight with Mark uh, when the Blackhawks play the Caps? No, because there isn't really like a crazy rivalry with with those two teams. I know, but still, you um, know, it's like I, your they team. were my team for the West because I was watching a lot of the Blackhawks sure, games because sure. Mark was watching and Mark was rooting for the Caps, like in the East. You know, if it had, I think what we were all planning was that you know, hey, we'll we'll see you in the finals and then like then we can go yeah, at right. it. But like, well, why don't <laughs> in we, hindsight, I right? think together later we're gonna pick a team as this like fair weather fan backup because we know what happens every year when the playoffs come. And like, don't get me wrong, the yeah. season is just starting. It's great. You feel like there's like 82. But I've been potential following, moments. I've been following hockey for a while, so it's like you know, like since like 2008 or nine. So like, I I know what the deal is the with Ovechkin the Cavs era. and 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 yeah, basically, basically right. the Ovechkin era. Uh, which means I love going to games. I love watching. I just love watching the games. And whenever, whenever I'm there in person, I just feel like I'm getting to witness something special. He's a very special player, right? Absolutely. Like it's it's just a, it's something very very awesome to be able to wit- witness with my own two eyes. But um, you know, yeah, invariably come playoff time. I'm like, I hate hockey. You know, fuck this game. I'm not gonna watch any more games. And then now, you know, it's preseason started. I've been watching the. the I'm gonna watch you every. I'm gonna watch every Caps game either in person or on TV. Like, absolutely, I'm gonna be uh, right back into it. This is what happens every year. It's like is 74 it? till now. It's only been so many years. You know, like Boston point, had a drop for like 100 years. I just want to watch some good hockey. That's the phase I'm in. Is I just want to watch you. good hockey because that's all I can ask for at this point. I'm with you. Know. you. Uh, and and just to make one other point, I uh, just wanted to go over was that I, I find it really interesting that the common thread through all the businesses you actually push, because you might have all these ideas that you don't actually then yeah. turn into some kind of business that becomes lucrative or not, but whatever. It seems like most of the projects or all the projects you pick is is out of a necessity, a hole in the market. And so you did allude to, and Matt maybe alluded to it as well, is that like you kind of look and you see these holes and you understand that there's a void and someone should fill it. And you're like, oh, I could fill it. And it seems like between Horizon Devices, you made a pedal that you thought specifically no one was making with the the pickups, you and Nolly, that you are, it's out now? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the second pickup set. Okay, like, so, but right, yeah. right, okay, and I remember you talking about both. It seems like that sonically in your head you weren't getting yeah, and Nolly yeah, wasn't getting. Absolutely. But it's very selfish pursuits, you know? Right. But, the heart but of you it. realize that there are there is an, an allegiance of people who follow you and look at you for direction. Yeah. And, and so that, you can kind of lead these them things there. have materialized. Like that's why I was able to get signature deals despite the fact that Periphery is a very, very small band because there are companies out there that understand that size does not necessarily equal influence. Right. And they understood that despite the fact that Periphery and the Grand Seam is a relatively small band, doesn't sell a lot of albums or, or get that many fe- uh, people at a show, that we do have a lot of influence over what people buy to where it makes enough of a difference to associate with us. And you know, it's the reason I was getting gear thrown at me like all the time because these companies would send me stuff and every time they'd send me stuff and I'd just make a casual post about it they'd get their they'd get sales you know so it's a business arrangement basically. it definitely seems that that comes out of part of the conversation you and I were having before the podcast started of your accessibility yeah. and and so that because how accessible you are to the fans they have a better relationship with you where they can really start to you know gain trust Absolutely. And they know that whatever you're putting out, you're doing it for the right reasons, and you're not trying to push something that you don't really believe in. Yeah. And and you're physically using all the products, you know, even though it's a selfish pursuit. Yet it becomes 
a pursuit that benefits the good of everyone in the well, community. Well, it's just like sort of riding the line. I don't know, man. It's like I don't want to do a job I don't like. We don't, want to, we don't want to do jobs we don't like, but you know what? I think what's really cool that I've seen you do and we've done now together and even in the band is, is we put people in place that we believe can help us maintain a level of quality control with everything that we do to maintain right. the ability to put something out there and have people trust in the product and trust in right, us. Because right. I don't think any one of us would ever put something out there by ourselves, even when it comes down to the music alone. I mean, yeah, yeah. when you write a riff that... that you know that you came up with at two in the morning. It, it you never just put it out. No, so it was like guys. I think this is shit. What do you think? Yeah, but, <laughs> you but know, you know I mean? it's funny because it's because it's a better experience. It's a people ask like, why haven't you done a solo album? Because like whenever I have a riff, I'm like, man, this would be so much better if I was working with the guys on this. You know, and it's it's very true. It's very true. I can attest to that because I, I started a business um, just buying and selling gear. And I did it myself, and I always felt like I had to like look at one shoulder and have a conversation with left shoulder, and then go to right shoulder and have like a conversation back and forth because there was no one to ask. You yeah, know, should I do this or not? And it's it's tough. And I can definitely say I love moving forward. Matt and I are working on some stuff, and then my brother Jordan, who I love, and Matt and I do this project together. And and any project I would get into, I don't want to do things alone. It's not fun. Yeah. I, I think, but I think you brought up a really good point, which is like sometimes just having someone to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Sometimes the writing sessions are me writing like ninety five percent of something, but just having like even Mark or Jake in the room to be like, "Yep" or "Nope" is all I need. Because otherwise, I'd be just like like going crazy, like wondering, "Oh man, so maybe I should do that." No, maybe and like when I have people I could, I, I trust, you know, innately trust, and, and they're helping steer the ship. And even though it seems like I'm the one like creating everything, like they have just made that process so streamlined and so much easier. And now I'm not stressed out over it, you know. So it's really important for me to finish my train of thought. Just before I lose it, and before we switch gears and, and move to the the questions, um, I just wanted to ask you, and I think people may be interested as well. How often do you think of an idea or a hole in a market that you say, "Oh, there should be a product." How often do you think about that? And then of that, how often do you actually move to the next step in the implementation I'd say of it? I, I'd come up with way more ideas than yeah, like but again, this is why I have people I trust. Like every time I have like some, some crazy idea, like um I'll usually run it past like uh people like Matt. Yeah, the test. Um like uh yeah, and people like uh Brian Gilmanov and Maytab, because like those you guys are also like into and 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 these these guys are great at playing devil's advocate. I just like sort of knocking it down and be like, well, this is why it wouldn't work, or this is, or that, you know. And it just forces me to think about it. And then maybe it'll be like, no, but we could do this. Or oh yeah, I didn't really think that through. I guess that's not a good yeah. idea. So so th- those are my filters for uh, for for these ideas. And then yeah, like the grand majority of them don't come to life. But every now and then, you know, it's like, hey, maybe maybe this is something we should. At least do a bit of research into, and then you get some ideas. You know, it always, it always blows my mind with our GGD calls when everybody agrees on something because there are so many good devil's advocate players right. on the team. You know, like everybody. Des is ridiculous at it. Des, Des is, is, is is such an invaluable part. Yeah, he's he's amazing at thinking about the angles and and Finn too. I mean, Finn Finn as well. Um, yeah. Who's who's now been on the podcast, but Finn is is my go-to guy when I have any idea because he's the first one in his very, very just straightforward tone to be like, nah, 
I don't. I, why? Because you, you and I, that? you and I will be like the ones like, oh, we should blah 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 blah, like like ten thousand ideas. And then if Des and Finn get on board, it's like, whoa, that was a good idea. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which is not for most of them, but like, you're, no, you're absolutely right. You're, and and like having those guys is invaluable. I remember GGD conversations where you, me, and Nolly are all like a hundred percent like that's a great idea. And then like Des with like two sentences is like, well, have you guys considered? And it's like, whoa. That's a really good point. I guess we shouldn't do, and it will completely change all of our yeah. points of view, like to, to his side with like a couple of sentences. And it's like that's why I'm really glad that we have someone like him on the team, and, and Finn's the same way too, because he's looking at it from such a calculated uh, point of view. You know, absolutely, absolutely. I, I I'm They're very good thankful. Uh, yin to our yang. Yeah, you know? very thankful to have those guys keep us in check. Yep. So there's a couple questions. Um, I'll start with a, a pretty interesting one that I don't even know if you've gotten before. I haven't heard anybody ask you this in interviews, but um, Misha, why the name Misha? Does your name have any significance according to your parents? Uh, my parents, uh, it's, a, it's a Russian name. And, and, sorry, that's from uh, Nathan Ronka. Okay, so that's a good question. I have been asked this, but it's not very common. So it's a Russian name. It's actually short for Mikhail. So it's like it's kind of like a nickname. So it would be like, like Michael becomes Mike. That's my Hebrew That's name. That's mine as well. Really? Yeah, Mikhail. Oh, right. My, my Hebrew name is uh, David. Uh, so David, right? Yeah, but right. Like, and it's not like our names are Michael either. No, I, no and no. I changed mine to Shabtai, which is Saturn. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks. But, uh, but anyways, uh, like, it's just because my parents, I, I think, wanted us to have exotic names. Like my sister's name's Yael. That's an Israeli name. My brother's name's Axel, which I think is like, Dutch or like lots of people in Belgium are called. I mean, let's get real though. Your dad is a huge fan of Guns N' Roses, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Loves Guns N' Roses. Dude, I met your parents at the Silver Spring show. Right. They were the best. Your mom had all these questions about what was all this stuff that was on stage. Yeah. My, this is, I have to applaud my parents for putting up with me because they do not get it. And, like okay, my dad is my dad is tone deaf and doesn't listen to music. So and he's sweet. Like he'll be like I'll show him something just like for a laugh or whatever, and he'll be like, "Oh, the the rhythm is cool." It's like he doesn't li- like he doesn't care. Didn't he, your mom was genuinely interested. She was like, "Okay, what is that thing?" I'm like, "That's a right. speaker." Yeah, and yeah she's like, yeah. "Awesome." Yeah, no, they don't. They really don't know anything about this, but they're very supportive, and they've always supported my passion. Um, one thing, my, my dad's an economist. Okay, so my dad, my, growing up, like you know, we we were like well off ish, but kind of lived beyond our means just because my dad really knew how to stretch a dollar, you know. So we lived technically a better life than we should have been able to, but like you know, sort of grew into that. But you know, I remember like my dad was always cutting coupons, and we were always on a budget for everything. So that was just what life was to me, and like. Money was this thing that's like scary, and you should always be very, very, very careful with it, you know. Um, and you know, even though like I, you know, I grew up in like kind of a rich neighborhood as a result, and like everyone was getting cars and stuff for free, and I was really pissed off that I wasn't getting any stuff for free or anything like that. And that the idea of getting like a car was absurd. I was gonna get a hand-me-down car from my from my parents when I turned sixteen, but that got crashed into and totaled. While I was sitting in a parking lot, it was just really bad luck. And like I think a lot of 
my friends at or you know a lot of my peers at the time let's say like their parents would have been like well we'll just buy you buy you something else but my parents were like we're not going to buy a car you were just going to get that but now that it's gone like no <laughs> tough luck you know like you want a car go buy your own um and what my parents have always done which I was very grateful for was to uh help me help myself so they would never give me money they'll loan me money at interest matching what a bank would give me and they'll say well we're doing you a favor cuz no bank would ever give you any money but we will and if you default, you know, it's not the end of the world. We'll figure something out. Uh, if you default for a while, then you're, we're going to sell whatever it is and you're not going to have it anymore. So, like, you know, they were like, whatever you do, yeah. you know, if you want to pursue music or whatever, like, they're like, understand that there's no money in it. It's very, very tough to succeed. So, if you think you're doing this so that you could be lazy and sit around and not do any work, don't even bother. But if you want to do this because you're passionate and you want to give it a fair try, Go get a full-time job. We're gonna charge you rent, you know, and we'll give you a reduced rate for Bethesda. Uh, but like, you know, you're still gonna pay us rent, and you better be working full time, and you can do music in your free time. Yeah. And that made me feel like I was earning it. But they were helping; they were giving me a helping hand, but they were not giving me any handouts on anything. Well, yeah, and, and they, your parents, helped us with the van and trailer. Yeah, you know, when we and they first loaned us money at interest. Yeah, you know, with they, interest. Absolutely, this was yeah. not by any means. But we a, couldn't a get gift. a bank loan. No, no we, we couldn't, couldn't get, get a bank, bank loan. loan. So they're like, okay, well, if a bank would charge you this much interest, we'll give you the same thing. Right. Here's your payment schedule, you know, and all that, and and that's what we did. And we we ran that damn thing into the ground. We did. We ran and, into the ground. But thank God, because it, it you know, for for your parents, because they really did support us in that way. They did, but they, I, they gave us the chance to to make good on that loan. Absolutely, you know, and prove that we could function as a business. You know? But you know, I think in hindsight, my dad, my dad was apprehensive for reasons that are obvious. You know, like I don't think I think it must be every father's nightmare to have a kid be like, I want to be a musician. You know, like, <laughs> so like I don't think that was his favorite thing to hear. But you know, I I'm glad. In hindsight, he says that he he's really proud of me for sticking to my guns and following what I believe in, um, and it's something that my dad has done in his own line of work, which also I think worked out for him to some degree. And I think you know it allowed us maybe to bond in that way, where it was all we're pursuing something that's a bit against the grain, but it's something that we believe in firmly, and that's why we're going to do it. And it's not necessarily about money or about anything else it's about something that we just feel like we have to do right was there a point in time where you felt like it's kind of working um you know that's that's a good question i don't know i don't know when I, you know what you know what i think i felt that was right i remember that right before that i felt like it wasn't working <laughs> so i want to say like right around the time icarus ep came out I felt like we were really stagnating. Again, it wasn't cool to like us, so I felt like we were playing to crowds that were just, you know, that had glazed looks, like they just didn't care. And and I was like, man, like, is this what it's gonna be like? And like the sort of newness and the excitement, excitement of just being in a band and playing live, which you know carried us for a while through a lot of crap. Like that was really starting to wear off. And I'm like, damn, if this is what it's like, like I wonder how much how much longer I can hack this. And then people started to, to catch on, I, and I don't know why. Uh, and I, I've heard people refer to it as an overnight success, but from my perspective, it was, a, it was a slow and steady one. But what there was, was progress. There was always progress. And as long as there's progress, I'm happy. Even if it's a little bit, like I feel like 
maybe it's just the way my mind works, but then I feel like, oh, all this work is for something, you know? If it's yeah. stagnation or regressing, it's like, man, I did all that work and it's not even helping me out, you know? So, you know, I think I think it was around that time that I started to feel like, hey, maybe maybe this thing is at least worth putting my time into. I think it really just took time for the the fan base to come around to the genre because I feel like like metal in its own right is is different. Like the fans are different from your fans. Maybe. Do you see that at all? I mean, and and it's funny because when I when I was thinking about doing this today, one of the things that came up to me, one of the the questions that I started to formulate in my head was some, something that had to do with you maybe not taking yourself so seriously on stage, whereas. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the typical metal persona as this, you know, like like a like a beefed up dude who works out and trains and gets out there and the band is ridiculously serious. You're right. And right, and right. I think it is part of the subgenre that you guys play that it took it took longer for more people to adapt to what <laughs> isn't just this like full on Yeah, we're the Sun forty one of metal. <laughs> pretty much, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I <sighs> you are the Dave. Is that the brown guy? That's why I said yeah, it. Yeah, dude, he takes solos. He's yeah. cool. Right? <laughs> it's like so the Billy Talent. I mean, here, here's the thing: is because of how we started. When we started, I don't, I don't, I know that I never thought that periphery would amount to much more than what it was. I was, I remember telling myself, like, man, if we could just tour in a van and have some people be stoked at shows, that was an improvement on what we were seeing, and I'd be happy with that. We've ridden it as you know, like as far as it's gone, and we're going to continue to do that um, as long as it makes us happy. But like, yeah, it's 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 easy to sort of analyze this in hindsight. In hindsight, as like, oh, fans were gravitating towards this or that or whatever. But I think the thing that you have to understand was none of this was calculated. All of this was just like. You know, it's like if something's not making you any money or, or, or really there's no return on investment, then you're just going to do whatever it is you wanted to do. So we just did whatever it was we wanted to do. We didn't feel like like being metal or whatever. We just didn't feel like that was natural to us. It wasn't even a deliberate decision of like, this is how we'll stand out. It was just like, well, that doesn't feel like something that we would do, so we're not going to do it. Um, you know, And when we'd get sort of advice from other people about how to change this or that it would just be like it, it would fall on deaf ears because it's right. like there's no there was no you know carrot at the end of the stick to follow any of this advice it was like well we're just gonna be a small band and do our own thing and see see what happens so yeah i, I think i think we got lucky i think we got lucky because people our music that we were very selfishly making for ourselves happened to resonate with people uh you know why i have no idea I don't think it's that good. I don't think there's anything that special about it, but apparently some people did enough to support us, and that's awesome. Um, and because we were sort of formed that way, that's something that's been very easy to just keep up doing. We're just like, yeah, well, we're just going to keep doing our thing, see how long this thing rides out, you know? And there's been more and more pressure, not not lately, but like there was a point where I think things started to really... Um, get bigger, but then started to plateau a little bit, you know. And it's like, well, how can we take these guys to the next level? And there's a lot of pressure from people, you know, in management, label, and whatever that were like, hey, well, you guys could try these moves or that moves. And that's why it was very easy for us to be like, no, I think I think we're good just doing our own thing. Um, and and fortunately, because of because that was the most important thing to us, we had arranged all our business deals. 
to basically allow us to have complete free reign with that. We, you know, we, we do our albums and we, we, we master them. And then that's the first time that the label hears it. And it's like, sell this, you know, that's how it works. That's our relationship. No one hears our music until it's done. That's rare. Uh, but it was important. It was something that from day one was incredibly important to us. Cause again, it's like, we're not going to make any money doing this when we might as well have that part be sacred. That's our way and no one can mess with it. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I've always liked that fact that, you know, and at some point our team even started to acknowledge like, Oh, periphery. Yeah. 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 yeah they don't, they don't share anything with us. Like just, yeah. Uh, just, just don't even it. ask. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you're working with Periphery. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Don't expect to get anything from them until they're ready. Right. And right. that's fine. Like that's okay. But it's worked out because then the records sell and like it does well enough to where they're like, all right, you know, I guess yeah. when we let you do your thing, it's it works out well. It became enough. an endearing thing for yeah, us. Yeah. It was just kind of our thing. It was you like, know. Yeah. But it's funny. It's let definitely them funny. do their. Leave them alone. They'll 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 we'll get an album and we'll put it out and it'll be fine. You know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I do see we we have friends and bands that that are you know sort of beholden to their deals and things like yeah. that. And I don't ever. I've produced be, those bands before and gotten uh, those emails, you know. I, and I know. it's like, it, it, and it's very frustrating. I see see the band, and it's like, wow. Like if I got an email like this, I would I would quit. You know, I would be like, no, and I'm not doing music anymore. You know, absolutely. Like, uh, but yeah. Have you thought of the hypothetical of just you know future projection if? You decided uh, to write without aesthetic and with a, a different passion. Do you think that would really change the maybe trajectory of what Periphery is currently doing, like on the steady climb that you speak of, which is totally true? I I think I'm fine with what Periphery. I'm not concerned. I don't think I've ever been concerned with the trajectory of Periphery. And I think the whole point of it is to have an outlet where I'm not concerned with that. Yeah, and, and yeah. we we can write whatever we want to write. Yeah. I mean, even with what the 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 very very early talks of of the music that we're writing and going to be writing, there are no boundaries to it. No, whatsoever. it's just it's just giving us some some discussion points, some bullet points to lightly have over the top, but they're never be all end all. And you know, Periphery Three, we had these same discussions, and the end, album ended up being really different than what we all talked about it being. But we just followed the thread of where it went, and that's where it led us. I guess once you got past the point of, um, I think I remember watching videos P One and P Two, and people like burning their sweatshirts. Yeah, they're like, dude, they're just not the same band anymore, and they they're not allowed to have these liberties, which is like, who who would try to put those kind of constraints on someone? They're, it's like, are you kidding me? This is, you know, it's your musical journey. It's yeah, but I mean, it's, it's literally it's literally the only point of this is to have fun writing. And again, not trying to say I'm good at writing. Not I just I just really like to write, and this is my outlet to write. So I'm not gonna let things like the band's trajectory, the band's finances, fans' opinions, our team's opinions affect the part that is the most fun. And that to this day is the most fun is writing with the guys. It's no also way, the most man. important. I mean, you're not a band unless you have music to play. Right, right. So that should be, you know, there, there are a lot of questions that came in about what should a young band do? When should a young band, you know, start working with a manager? When should a, a, a young band decide to, to do something with their music where they work with a label or, or whatever? And it's like, yeah, I don't know. You work with, with um, managers and, and booking agents when they come to you. Because you've been making enough noise with the music that, that you write. That is definitely rule number one: is have them come to you. Do not yeah, go to and them. and do the work. 
You know, do do yeah. the work that's required if you really care about the music that you're writing. But at, again, you know, when you go on tour, you go on tour when you have music to play. When yeah. you put out a record, you put out a record when you have music to, to put out. Yeah. You know, music is at the center of all of this. And the most important thing isn't the look. It's not like what your stage show is going to be like. It's do you have music that you're passionate about, that you care about, that is authentically real to, to who you are in your band right, right, and, and right. Who, who your band is. And, and that's at the core of it all. If you just stay true to that, everything else is going to fall into place. It really is. I disagree with that. I don't think everything else I'm not will saying fall that, I'm not saying that you're going to just end but up... But you on, will probably be satisfied with the music. Dude, you just put the least. songs out look, there and it all just comes together. No, but look, I'm not saying that you're going to just end up you know, on tour and on a label. Yeah. But if you... Point is, the opportunities will present themselves if you do right by the music you put out there because there's always an audience for whatever it is if it's authentic. Right. Okay, that, that's my point. Like, well, but here, here's where I disagree a bit because I know so many talented bands that, that, and talented individuals that just can't make it work, and I think it's because they don't focus on the business side. I think what we've always done from day one was like, okay, the music is sacred. We don't mess with that. But now that we have that as a constant in our equation, how can we rework all the other variables to our advantage? Because this is a business, right? Uh, That's and, true. That, that, is, that is true. And However, it's funny you're saying that because you're such a big part of treating this band like a business. But I guess, but, but hold on. But, but at the same time, I think it is so commonplace now for people to understand how to utilize social media. Everywhere I look, Everywhere I look, there's education, free education out there on how yeah. to get yourself out there, how to get your name out there. If you're not paying attention to that, then yes, you're right. In that sense, you're not going to go anywhere. But it is so easily available for you to understand how to market yourself correctly, how to put your music out there correctly. It is not hard to do. You just have to do the right things. And yeah. and I just I think it starts with the music being something that when you do put it out there, if one person hears it and like it likes it, that hopefully that person will share it. But, but again, you got to give them something to share. I think, I think I'm going to agree with you on the music part of that, where it's like that is the most important thing. And being genuine to yourself is important for many reasons because, like, one, you'll be able to live with yourself it's a, if it's a failure or whatever because at least you believe in it. And also you'll be able to replicate. You'll be able to just keep on trusting your gut and just trusting your instincts, which is what we do every time around. Even though we have albums that sound different or whatever, We've always just trusted our instincts. But the other thing that we've done is make sure that everything else is very calculated and has a business strategy behind it because, okay, we did get lucky. And, and that's the part you can't control. You can't control whether people will like your music or not. You're going to write your stuff genuinely, but there's some people, maybe it won't catch on. Maybe it'll catch on way too late. You won't take advantage of it. But if the opportunity strikes, I'd like to have as best prepared a team and as best prepared a mindset to be able to make the most of that opportunity because I've totally seen bands get those lucky opportunities and then squander them. And that's the, that's the other part of this, this argument. So I do agree that the music is at the core of it all and is the most important thing. But I think the success comes a little bit from luck and a little bit from knowing what to do with that luck. So with that in mind, it's not about finding other people, though, especially in the beginning, to do that work for you. Right. You have to do right. it yourself. You because, have to do it yourself. Because if you don't have a clear vision of what it is that you want, you're going to find all the wrong people. You know, we have a lot of people on our team now who, who all take care of a lot of work that we could arguably do ourselves 
if we wanted to be miserable <laughs> and have no free time. But like these guys are professionals and that's what they do and they do a great job. But they do it in line with what we want because we know what we want. And that's a very big distinction there. If we didn't know what we want, one, we may hire the wrong guy for the job or worse yet, we could be steered into the wrong direction by a slick talking guy who makes us think that he's going to have our best interests in mind and is really just pushing his own agenda. So that's how by starting out on our own, we were able to basically filter out the people that were not going to be a good fit for us. And now we've got a great team that really genuinely understands what it is that we're trying to do. And it goes back to Matt's earlier point of you all having the self-awareness to identify the individual strengths of each person in the band and then having that communication and collaboration for each of you to step up in those individual roles. There's always the art and there's always the business. Um, and there is a lot to the business, especially the music business. There's all these different aspects, whether it's communication or uh, networking or booking, PR, uh, publishing, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that can be overwhelming for like a musician to have to be responsible for that. Uh, at least for you guys, it's nice that you all seem to be relatively like mature, intelligent human beings. <laughs> <laughs> relatively relative but you were all able were. but you all also were able at least from my perspective to treat the art as a business because those were your goals yeah and i've told people this at clinics all the time and we've we've talked about it it's like that's the difference between a weekend warrior band and a band that's actually giving it a shot one is just doing music and one is in the music business. And if you're in the music business, people sometimes will ask me like, so like, is, that, is business like a component of that? It's like, no, it's the focus. That's like, you know, basically outside of actually creating the music, it's the everything else. Mm-hmm. If you're not treating your band like the small business that it is, then don't be surprised when you don't see return on your investment, when you don't see success. And, you know, and it's not a guarantee of anything. This is your lottery ticket to just get your foot in the door and, and play the game. So it's a guarantee of absolutely nothing. But what I guarantee you is that if, you're not, if you don't have that side figured out and your goals figured out, you will not be able to make anything of the opportunities that you may be lucky enough to get. And for those listening, it's not just about music. It's really any creative endeavor. Right. It's oh, all absolutely. the same. Yeah, you could sub it out for any, any, any other thing. Anything that has a business sort of... Uh, component to it that that is where you're, you're going to have to have the exact same attitude about that business side and it's probably fueled by some passion in the same way where we're, we're just replacing that with music for us right yeah cool so as we wrap this up uh, first i want to say to everyone who did submit a question in the facebook group um and even in this facebook live we appreciate your guys' interest, we feel like we wanted to have done our best to kind of capture the spirit of what was most asked and try to weave that in through this conversation. Um, And I think we did the best we could. Um, Misha, you said you really haven't done many long-form podcasts like this. No, not really. What was this like for you? This is awesome. Yeah, I like like talking about this stuff. I think it's fun. But I'm very selective about this this kind of stuff. I think the only podcast I remember doing recently was uh, Joey Sturgis' podcast, which which was a lot of fun. And I I really like... uh, Joey and Al and uh, and Joel there, like they, I think they do a great job. So when they said like, "You want to do a podcast?" I was like, "Sure," but again, I I like what you guys 
get into on your your podcast here, and I knew it would be an interesting conversation. I knew we could have kind of a like we could hash some stuff out, and then you know sort of have everyone be a fly on the wall uh, as opposed to this being sort of a uh, standard interview, if you will. Yeah, sure. No, yeah, and I don't really think we even did much hashing out of stuff. I mean, we just kind of told some stories. Sure, you know, and there was one question, um, and let me pull it up. It was from uh, Harry Causey, who references the URM podcast, where there, he's, he says, you spoke about you and Matt having a tough relationship in the beginning. He was wondering how, how we maintained a working relationship without animosity before we managed to get on the same wavelength. And I don't think we did. I mean, I think we, we, we held it together. We held it together held for it together. the sake of the bigger picture, which is, Definitely. hey, we both like being in this band, and it would be really crappy to not be in this band. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. But... but Given the story we told earlier, I mean, that was such a uh, a monumental um, moment for me, for you, to take a step back and look at a lot of different things that were yeah. happening, not even just between you and me, but I think in our lives as a whole. And um, I'll never forget those experiences. And what what it's really done for me, you know, having that experience with you, having the experience that I had with Mark it's really helped me to shine a light on my, my quirks and the things that, that, that I need people like you and Jordan and Justin and my close friends to really you know, help me notice so that I can continue to improve as a person. I know you feel the same way. I having, feel exactly the same having way. Us that, was a, that was yeah. a big moment for me too because even though it started out as me criticizing you, it became a conversation about we all have to work on ourselves, me included. I'm no, I'm no better and I became aware of a lot of things that would be hypocritical to ignore after a conversation like that. So yeah. um, I think that was a, a, something that, you know, it was a very emotionally charged moment. And maybe that's why I won't ever forget it. But it's also because it was a big turning point. And well, I mean, right. since then, you know, now we, now we have a company together. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love being in a band with you. I, I love working with you. I think we're closer than ever because of that. Totally. And I think that those kinds of situations really tend to have one or two outcomes, which is either it would have pushed us apart completely and we would have probably never spoken to each other again, or it would bring us closer, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, that resistance really brought us together. Yeah, So I, I, I think that's a, that's a really cool... Uh, it's a really cool experience to have been through, and it, and it did set the tone for the rest of the band and, and the way that, honestly, the way we communicate even with our team now yeah. really stemmed from, from these moments. So, yeah. Having the sort of uh, uh, feeling empowered to say these things and not have to hold back and not ha- feeling like, oh, you know, I'd like to say this, but I'm worried about how everyone will react to it, you know, like, which is pretty important, I think, for everyone's sanity. So I think, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. Well, so on that note, Jordan or Justin? No, Justin first. Misha, Mikhail, Mansour. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, as a part of the Chocolate Croissants community, uh, for all of us, from all of us, you know, thank you for being so open and honest, uh, so gracious with your time to come here and do this, and uh, giving us a bit more of yourself so that I don't, I, now we've, I feel more, and I'm sure everybody else feels just more connected to you, which in turn makes us more connected to the music and and yeah and just thank you. Oh, you're welcome, and I appreciate you having me. It was very therapeutic for me to do this. Good, <laughs> good, hell yeah. So, so Misha, for everyone paying attention, uh, what's the best ways that they can connect with you? Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I guess you know, the usual, the, the usual. Huge. 
formats for business these days, I guess. Yep. Cool. Um, so, like, I'm not a quote periphery fan the way that like Justin is. So I only, I didn't really know who you were, what you were about, uh, beyond beyond what I've heard and, and things like that. Uh, so it was, this was very cool for me to to get to know you. Um, and and I leave more inspired and with great respect for you. So I wow. appreciate you making the trip over here, man. Thanks, man. Those are very kind words. Um, I also want to give love to our friend Connor, who's been here sitting on a stool in the corner uh, for these two hours. Uh, he is uh, a musician as well, someone that I haven't seen in a decade. So this was very cool. And Connor is representing the Baltimore Jewish Times. So he's actually going to be producing content about the content that we have produced in this podcast. So meta. So very meta, very <laughs> Jewish as well. The crazy thing is, is that the four of us doing this podcast are all Jewish. We're all Jewish, yeah. Yep. And the guy working for the Jewish publication is not. <laughs> That's amazing. That, kind of blew my, that legitimately blew my mind earlier when I found that. I just assumed, I, I, it was probably a poor assumption, but I just assumed. Dude, he looks the part. You look the part. You look the part. Dude, if I, if, do I even look the part? Literally yeah. nothing about me. My name no. or my look makes me <laughs> Jewish, but you know. Yeah. I didn't know until we started talking, I think until these names came about. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Mordecai over here. That's what? I'm Mordecai. Morty. Morty. You know, like the story that Haman comes out and that guy. All right. Robber. So it's time to take it home. <laughs> uh, so for everyone listening, as always, we, we really appreciate your attention, uh, especially for these episodes that, uh, that go really long form, but we feel that uh, going deep is, is when we can really kind of get to the core of who our guests are. And for us, that's what it's all about. Uh, the Facebook group. We've referenced it often uh, in this episode. Facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. That is really what this uh, project of chocolate croissants is all about. You know, we can produce content every week, but it's day in and day out between those episodes where we can really build community um, and have you guys connect with us. We broke a thousand people uh, this past week, so we really appreciate wait, that for wait, you. There's a couple of people we got to say hi to. Yeah. All right, so wait, gotta say, I, I get one of them. Okay, we got to say hi to my, my dad, Richie. What up, Richie? How's it going? My girlfriend, Natalie, is watching. Hi, babe. I got one. Dunstone, Das Book, Dan Book. Hi, Dan. What's up, Dan? Dan, we love you. And, and hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, a very, very longtime supporter of the band, Laura Vermeland. Laura oh, and Ryan. Hey. Laura's watching. Hi, Laura. Misha, do you want to like randomly say hi to people? Uh, yes. <laughs> I want uh, uh, Todd Schlepperstein. I just want to say that. I remembered all those lessons that you uh, gave me back when I was 15. Misha. And the frogs are still there, believe it or not. It's kind of crazy. Do you have uh, any, any amazing names that you want to throw out there real quick? No, I don't. <laughs> no, not when I'm on the spot. Okay. Well, Misha is a, is a genius at coming up with um, the most amazing names for things Schlepperstein. and people. Yeah. <laughs> He's all a fellow right. Jew. Jordan, take it home. Uh, very quickly, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, if you want to type in chocolate croissants, you can hit subscribe. Uh, every Monday morning, the episode automatically downloads into your phone. You don't have to use your data while you're in the gym uh, or driving to listen to these episodes. If you'd like to leave us a review or a rating, we would appreciate that, and we would love you for that. Uh, Matt, what about next week? What are we doing? Episode 28. 
Um, we uh, will announce it in the group. So if anybody wants to know who our guests will be and wants to submit questions, just join the group, facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants, and we will post in there who our next guest will be shortly. So keep an eye out. Cool. I think I just have to say bye-bye.